And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Spin Rate presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. That's right, this is Spin Rate, the Toronto Blue Jays podcast here on The Athletic. My name is Drew Fairservice, and I am excited to guide you through a very interesting weekend and or week and or eight games since the All-Star break for your Toronto Blue Jays. This is a bit of an inflection point in the season, or maybe it could have been, and instead not nothing has really been answered, which may actually be the answer itself. I don't have the answers, so that's why I'm so excited to bring in the co-host of Spin Rate. She has the answers. She covers the team for The Athletic. Her name is Caitlin McGrath. Caitlin, how are you? I'm very good. Very good. Ready very for a, a good. busy week. Very good, she says. Very good. That is not fine, which is what most people say when you ask how they are. You're very good. Yeah, well. You, you were at the mall, I bet. <laughs> I did stop by the mall this week. Not today, but earlier this week, which is always a treat. I didn't buy anything, though. I did the opposite, if I may indulge ever so quickly. Actually, before I do that, before I indulge myself, I will indulge the good people at The Athletic who keep us running and keep the lights on. They and I want you to go to theathletic.com slash spin rate and subscribe to The Athletic, if you haven't already. As Caitlin said, it's a big week for the Blue Jays, for all of baseball. The trade deadline is coming up in less than seven days. How many days? Five days. Four days. We're recording this on Sunday night. Four days. Four days. The Blue Jays are returning to Toronto, Ontario, Canada, to play games at the Rogers Center, formerly known as the Sky Dome, often known as a very large concrete toilet bowl in an ideal location for a ball for a ballpark. <laughs> and it's going to be a good time. It's a big week for the Blue Jays for everything. So if you haven't already subscribed to The Athletic, go to theathletic.com slash spinrate, subscribe to that. Subscribe to the show, Spinrate, wherever you get your podcasts. You can get it for free. You don't have to subscribe to The Athletic, but if you you can always get the show into your our, your podcast player, if it's Spotify or if it's Apple Podcasts, whatever. Go there, get it, subscribe to The Athletic. You'll be ready to go for this very large week for Blue Jays fans and for the Blue Jays themselves. A, a lot of folks never having been to Toronto to wear Blue Jays colors. George Springer, for example. I'm going to hazard a guess that Alejandro Kirk has never been to Toronto before in his whole life. Um, well, he was here last year when they had that oh, brief summer right. camp. Yes. Right. Okay. Good point. Uh, either way. But never played a game. Times. Never played never a game. played a game. Never had, never walked out in front of Blue Jays fans. Uh, heard his name called and heard the cheers of tens of hundreds or even a thousand or so folks who will be in attendance. Come Thursday. Uh, you were at the mall this weekend. I was not at the mall. I, I got to drive through Mennonite country to a oh. soccer game in Stratford, Ontario, Very nice. where I sat 
in the pouring rain and watch uh, children play soccer. They are good children. Good. Well, they're okay children. They're good at soccer. But pouring rain, driving through Mennonite country. It was uh, quite, uh, it's quite a drive, you know, through the farms and past the Mennonites doing like Mennonite, full-on Mennonite shit. You don't expect to see it, but you do. And it's, and like they're, they're on the push bikes, which is, which is weird. And then they've got the flowers for sale on the little end of the driveway. And they've got the horse-drawn buggies and, Caitlin is a city kid. She doesn't know from this life. You don't know from the, from the, from a met, like whatever you picture in your head, that's exactly what it is. Like the beards and the horses and the, and the clothing and the very severe looking women like stomping down the road who are, because they have like a very working <laughs> life. So they are like ready to throw down um, with cows or sheep or anything ready to go. Mennonites, whole other world. Stratford, beautiful little place. Yeah. I went Love to Stratford. Mr. Sub. I went to Mr. Sub. Oh. I don't think I've been to Mr. Stratford Island in t- more than 25 years or ever. I, you could have told me I'd never been there. I believe you. The Blue Jays, we talked about them. Never been there. Some of them to Toronto. Alejandro Kirk, as you, have, as you have accurately pointed out, has been there, but not to play in front of adoring fans. So when I was kind of thinking about this week and what we were going to talk about, I thought about two words. I thought about progress and process. So if we could talk about the week games and the week that was, and then think about the process, the trades, the what is going to come of this week where the Blue Jays are sort of still in limbo, having here in the second half, I believe they are four and four. Yes. They have not made, nor have they uh, gained any ground or lost any ground. Well, I mean, technically, I guess they have lost ground in the division. Um, the teams around them are making moves such as? The Tampa Bay Rays, as we talked about midweek with Rob Wong of the Fan 590. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I, it doesn't seem like that now is the time for the Blue Jays, I guess. But we'll talk about that, the process part, in a minute. Let's talk about the proce- uh, progress part, which okay. is what happened on the field. Mm-hmm. They lost two of three to the Mets. Mets are yeah. a pretty good team. I don't know that I would say the Mets are better than the Blue Jays. The Mets won two of three games. They're very similar in some ways, you know? Like, they seem to be in a similar place in their trajectories a little bit. I mean, they don't have as young of a roster, but I just mean their off-seasons look kind of similar. And I feel like maybe it's just because George Springer was, like, kind of in the mix with the Mets. But Mm -hmm. they were both, like, the two teams that were like, oh, they could spend a big this off-season. And obviously the Mets are a a different sort of franchise. And um, they had the new owner and and all that kind of stuff. So there's more going on with the Mets. But um, there are some similarities. Like, there are some – they made some big signings. They obviously signed up uh, Lindor for a long time and um, that sort of thing. But – yeah, I would I would say they were very comparable teams in in the terms of like what they've been doing on the field this year. You know, their records and I probably their their uh, run differential are uh, uh, are pretty close. I'm, I mean, the Mets are in the Mets are in first place um, yeah. right now in a in a truly dire <laughs> yeah. division, like pathetic. The Phillies are so bad, and they started the day. Um, a game under 500, but in second place. Nationals mm-hmm. got swept by the Orioles, trash. The Braves, beset by injuries, just not had a lot of things go their way. Marlins, playoff team last year, trash. The Mets, it's like a bit of a walk to the playoffs. Yes. But, uh, you know, their, their team is, 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 I agree that they're in a similar position um, in terms of, maybe in terms of like their total talent on hand. Yeah. They are diff- very much a different team. 
Yes, than they the don't Toronto score. Blue Jays. They do not score as much as the Blue Jays. They don't have any anybody who can hit other than Pete Alonso, really. Because so the Blue Jays, of course, faced the Mets this weekend without Francisco Lindor, who was placed on the on the ten day injured list uh, about a week ago. So that's a big absence in the lineup, even though uh, Lindor did start slow. You know, another thing to think about, funny, uh, Robinson Cano still plays for the Mets. <laughs> yes. Well, he's suspended I mean, for the whole last yeah. year. <laughs> he's, on their, he's on their payroll. I don't know if I would describe him as playing for them. No, he is a Met, let us say that. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, the Mets are, uh, have a ton of pitching. The Mets have pitching depth that, should be the, that would be the envy of just about every team in baseball, starting and ending, of course, with Jacob deGrom who is also, I believe, on the injured list, is he not? Yes. Uh, Taiwan Walker, who started on Saturday, a former Blue Jay, like many former Blue Jays, uh, didn't pitch especially well on Saturday and then apparently tweaked his shoulders swinging the bat. Uh, Marcus Stroman, who's having a terrific uh, season in a run prevention mm-hmm. capacity, uh, missed the Jays who started uh, Wednesday afternoon, I guess, in the last game before the Mets came yep. um, home, which is a shame. Um Marcus Stroman is obviously a big fan of, or I'm a big fan of his. Uh, you know, we uh, have been long, long time supporters of Marcus Stroman in these parts, mm-hmm. um, in this iteration of this podcast and previous as well. But uh, I don't know. the So at any length, the Mets are a good test for the Blue Jays. And I don't know if I would say the Blue Jays failed the test, but the Mets won those games and the Blue Jays lost them. So mm-hmm. it's Ac- accurate. Accurate. That's the least. The least we could say is that the Blue Jays lost to the Mets. They also, you know, t- talking about the Blue Jays' um, uh, offense. Blue Jays, a great offense, such as it is. They were shut out for only the second time all season on Friday night. Yeah, that was a weird game. That was, that just was a, a weird game. It seemed like they were not. It's like they didn't get off the plane until Saturday. You know, they had the off day Thursday, and it just seemed like they. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a weird. Mix of emotion for Steven Matz, who honestly pitched pretty well. He did. Other than the first inning where he looked a little shaky and nervous because he was returning to the place where he played for, I don't know, six or seven years or eight years or whatever it is. He was mm-hmm. with the organization for 12 years. Uh, he had family and friends in the stands. And uh, yeah, that would be a little bit of a sort of emotional first couple moments there on the mound. And you know, the Mets got to him, and then he kind of turned it around there quickly. It was like he, one bad pitch to Alonzo, basically. Yeah, and he did pitch well, and, and he got a nice um, a nice ovation from the Mets fans when he uh, when he walked off the field after his day mm-hmm. was done, after he uh, pitched there into the sixth inning. And yeah, you, you can't complain. He struck out five, gave up the, gave up the one home run, uh, just the two runs in total, uh, before uh, later Ryan Baraki gave up a home run to... To uh, to Alonzo, uh, his second of the day, which we'll talk about in a little bit as well. But so the Blue Jays get shut out after, after losing two straight in Boston. After there again, there was the game that was rained out, and then the Blue Jays go into Boston, get beat pretty good, and then they go to New York and lose two out of three. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm the 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 knock. Of course, is that the Blue Jays aren't good against good teams, which is. I don't know. Maybe there's something to that. I mean, I'm I'm loath to like draw too much from that, mm-hmm. you know. But also, maybe there's something to it. And and I saw some folks talking on the online about the how the Blue Jays struggle in late and close situations, mm-hmm. which 
could be a function of the the fact that a uh, the team is very free swinging. So I'm I'm kind of paraphrasing a few folks that were having this conversation. I think Stoughton was part of that, and Josh Housen was part of this conversation, and maybe James in uh, To, who most folks probably know. Um, but like some of the points that I thought are at least plausible, which is the Blue Jays are very right handed, especially at the top of the order. Well, basically all the anyone who can hit on the Blue Jays is right handed, and. It might, and they're very free swinging, so that might make them vulnerable to high and late game relievers. I don't know if I put all my stock in it, but I've heard worse ideas. I don't know. What do you think, Caitlin? Yeah, I've looked at the stats too, and like it's weird because they are very bad in those situations, and then they look even worse in those situations when you compare it to the what they're they should be kind of like what they're, they're usually performing earlier in games and sort of compare it to other teams. And it looks a lot worse what they're able to do. I mean, that's a plausible um, scenario. I mean, maybe I would, I I don't know if I would say like, it's also, I don't know if I want to lean on this, but like maybe it's an experience thing. You've got still guys that are quite young in their careers, but at the same time, like if you can hit, in the first to sixth inning um, as a player in the top of the Blue Jays order, you know, what happens to you late in games? The only way I reason I say experience is like maybe younger players are more prone to be pressing or whatever it may be. You're trying to do too much, but you know, Vlad and Bo don't really usually strike me as the types that are often trying to do that. They usually seem to be fairly composed and, and know what they're doing up there. So I, I don't know that I'm even believing my own, theory here um but i was just trying to think of something on the spot because i didn't know mm-hmm. you were going to ask me this question um, I, I, you didn't <laughs> i didn't i didn't include it in the rundown um I, I i i am i am like the part of you that is doubting yourself right now in that i am not a big believer in that sort of philosophy i think you know hitters guys are who they are and you know the good hitters in particular like vlad and Bo, as you've mentioned so the thing about Bo Bichette is that he is a very aggressive free swinging hitter. You know, that's he is who he is and it's what makes him appealing, it's what makes him special. But also there's so much talk about how he could get to 0 and 2 and he's like in the driver's seat or something. It's just not true. And if you're in 0 and 2 against a very good uh, power pitcher and I think we saw it today um at the end of the game against uh, Edwin Diaz where Bo had a great at bat, right? Mm-hmm. Drag that that at bat out eventually striking out on a very good pitch thrown by a very good pitcher where maybe you can, maybe those guys make mistakes. Maybe, you know, you're not facing a, what did, what was the last pitch of the game? Like a 93 mile an hour slider or something obnoxious like that. Like you don't see that from starters unless you're facing Jacob DeGrom, but you don't see that from the non aces or the guys who are pitching in middle of relief for whomever else, even, even the likes of the Rays. But I think that watching the Rays and their like this nonstop barrage of sliders, and then when you see them in these late game situations, which, you know, the Blue Jays did stage a, a bit of a rally there late in the game here on Sunday against the Mets. Um, so I think that there's obviously some small samples. It's very noisy. It's not very cut and dried. But also there are potentially those elements that make them especially vulnerable to yeah. good, hard-throwing, effective right-handed relievers. Right. And your point, too, about just the fact that the teams that Blue Jays play most often have good bullpens like 
the Yankees bullpen is, I mean, I've, uh, lately it's been a little bit shaky, but when the Blue Jays were facing the Yankees, the bullpen was very good. The Rays obviously always have a very good bullpen, especially late in games. And the Boston bullpen has been pretty okay this year, especially their late inning relievers like uh, Matt Barnes has been really good. So mm-hmm. like the Blue Jays are, and they're playing pretty tight games with those teams. So they're usually seeing their best relievers late in games for the most mm-hmm. part. And so, yeah, I mean, I buy that theory more in the sense of like the who the you know teams in the central are facing late in games maybe not as difficult to hit um not necessarily i mean there's good relievers all over but the blue jays have been playing pretty good bullpens for the most part they've been playing good teams um and and they have been losing tight games uh partially because of perhaps their own sort of shortcomings in late close on offense and also maybe some of the bullpen struggles which i think have been a, well obviously the bullpen is what it is there have been some issues with the bullpen. They, I don't. I think I saw Mike Wilner tweeting about maybe they hadn't blown a save in you know more than a month or something like that. But all at the same time, the bullpen has its vulnerabilities, which those two things combined tend to add up to a team like the Blue Jays that has scored eighty some or seventy nine runs more than they've allowed. That's sitting what three or four games above five hundred, which is a tough place to be. We'll be right back with more spin rate. But first, check this out. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's think about the other side of this, which is, so the Blue Jays got shut out on Friday. Uh, there are these issues, perhaps, with them scoring runs. So Charlie Montoyo, um, man of the people, decided to shuffle the lineup to the chagrin of some, to the delight of many, including me, because I spent Saturday morning when I was, while watching soccer, I was on the phone uh, with some fo- some good people at uh, the Fan 590, and I was there was that talk was 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 on the show and i said you know you got to go springer first and guerrero second and then figure out the rest later and then lo and behold springer first guerrero second uh paid instant dividends on saturday and i would also argue paid dividends on sunday in the way that things sort of shook out in the ninth inning but caitlin i would love to hear what you think about the change to the batting order and if you think that the that springer one and and guerrero two is here to stay Oh, yeah, I think so. It definitely is probably here to say, and I don't see how they could, um, you know, optimize the lineup any better than that specific order. I think that the Blue Jays always intended for Springer to eventually be the leadoff guy. That's sort of why they signed him. I mean, uh, it's a large reason why they signed him to be, you know, one of the best leadoff hitters in the American League and, and to resume that role with their team, something that he did very, very well for a number of years with the Astros. And um, 
I think that there was an argument to make to not immediately put him in that leadoff spot when he came back for the second time from the IL. Semyon at that point, I think, had just sort of finished off a really good stretch and, you know, they were they were hitting quite well at that point. And, you know, I think you could make the case that Springer could have just slotted in right away and they still would have been a really good hitting team, but that's not the way it went. And I could see why Charlie didn't want to, you know, fiddle with it. I thought actually when they came back from the all-star break, when there was like a natural pause in the season would have been sort of the perfect time to mix it up. Um, It obviously didn't happen, but like whatever it was, like six games later or five games later, um, it happened. So yeah, what do you think? I guess it's better late than never. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think instantly it, paid off. Springer looked really comfortable in that leadoff spot. He kind of talked about being comfortable. And sometimes it's just like that. Sometimes just guys just like a spot in the lineup. And I think that, um, you know, some guys will say it doesn't matter where I hit in the lineup, but Springer was kind of honest and just said like, it's just a place where I feel comfortable and I feel like I can attack pitchers a little bit better and, and whatnot. And so that looked good. Obviously, he had a, probably his best game as a Blue Jay um, That's on Saturday. That's not an exaggeration. <laughs> yeah. And and Vlad looked great in the two hole as you would expect. Vlad would look great hitting pretty much anywhere, but especially the two hole. So and yeah, I think Semyon after that, fine. Like you kind of alluded to, like you can't really go wrong after. Well, I guess you could go wrong, but I mean, you you have a you know a lot of um, what's the expression? I can't think of it. Um, uh, an embarrassment of riches. I was going to say in the in the top five. I knew I would get it um, in the top five there, and so you're just kind of slotting guys in. I think Bo hitting fourth. I'd be interested in what you think of that. I mean, the, the reasoning was just because of how aggressive a hitter he is, um, mm-hmm. and so it sort of makes more sense to put him in uh, the cleanup role um, rather than having Sammy in there or, or even Teoscar there. So, and it also I think it sets up that everybody sort of protects everybody else. So. I'm I'm encouraged by this, but I might be talking myself out of it. I'm going to be honest. Number one, um, I like that George Springer is honest. I also don't believe him. Um, you know, I, 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 not that I don't believe him. Guys are who they are, right? Hitters are who they, who they are. And and if he feels like he can be more aggressive or whatever that Springer said, I don't doubt that. But I think that he, if you hit him fourth, if you hit him first, if you hit him ninth, it might mean you'll piss him off and you'll waste <laughs> you know thirty million dollars a year. But He's going to be George Springer at the end of the day. He, he is capable of doing what he's capable of doing. His skills and abilities are such as what they are. And so it's really, a, you know, I think that, that Charlie Montoyo probably was maybe with some consultation on the, with the front office or some eager, or some, maybe some prodding or encouragement from the analytics team, um, sort of went it with a bit of an old school route in that waited until Marcus Simeon was maybe not had a bit of a rough ride where it's, okay, now we're going to make a change. We're only going to move you down to... Three, we're not going to move, drop you down to the lower in the order. Still getting up in the first inning, which I think some some guys get. Um, but the biggest thing is the biggest, the only concern with organizing your batting order. And I, I thought about this, especially coming off the heels of the Blue Jays facing the the Boston Red Sox. The Boston Red Sox order is makes no sense. It was like it was picked out of a hat, right? Like it's it, like anyone. Any order is better than what they've been going with. When the Blue Jays faced the Red Sox, and the Red Sox, again, as we mentioned, they kind of handled the Blue Jays. They scored 13 runs on Monday night, and they did so with Danny Santana. Is that right? Was he hitting second? No, sorry. Jaron Duran hit second. It was the, the other game. 
when they hit Danny Santana second. They're hitting J.D. Martinez, who's the best hitter on the team. They're hitting him fifth, which is stupid. It's a waste <laughs> of everybody's time because the Blue Jays are, are unique in that way because their their best hitter is so good, and he's so good at all of the parts of hitting that the only job of the manager in this situation is to maximize the opportunities to either have Vlad knock guys in or for Vlad to be, when Vlad gets on base, have other guys able to knock him in. That is the only idea of run creation and lineup optimization because you have a very unique weapon that's able to sit there. So I do like him hitting second, especially behind uh, uh, Springer, because if a pitcher's not careful, you wake up and it's 2 nothing. There's a lot of different ways that can happen. You know, Springer probably isn't going to steal a lot of bases. He's going to steal no bases when Vlad is, is hitting in particular. But so that's, and the, so you've got two good hitters. You've got one who gets on base a lot. You've got one who gets on base more than anyone and one who hits the ball, you know, hits the ball for extra bases more than almost anyone, two or three other hitters in the league, maybe. That's how you score runs. And then you've got a guy like Bichette and then Simeon who can hit after. So, that's as, that's as far as the thinking needs to go. I like Bichette three more than I like Bichette four because he's so aggressive, because he's like instant offense, where if some if the pitcher somehow conspires to get both Springer and Guerrero out, you can not necessarily start a rally, but Bo Bichette's the guy and a guy who can hit a home run. And, and suddenly you've got it. You've popped a run when you were down two outs. He's also a guy with a lot of extra base power and capability such that if Laddie's on or Springer's on, maybe now Bo Bichette is able to not hit an RBI opportunities in like there's a different mindset, just like he's more likely to get a hit and an extra base hit than almost anybody else hitting behind him. So that's sort of my my thing. And, and you think back to, the, you know, if you've ever read the book, which is, I don't know if people still read the book, the the Mitchell Lickman and, and Tango sort of advanced baseball advanced kind of ideas bible from 10 or 12 years ago whenever it was so the the theory then was hit your best hitters one two and four i might be able to be convinced that you should hit vladimir guerrero jr fourth because he is both your best hitter your best on base all he is your best hitter your best on base guy and your best power hitter so optimize the number of people who get to be on base when he comes up the protection thing I'm not. I'm not particularly uh, swore, uh, swayed by that. I think that again, if you read things like the book, which maybe I'm dating myself, but like pitchers are gonna, they're not gonna throw Vladimir Guerrero Jr. better pitcher. It doesn't matter who's hitting behind him, right? They're gonna try to get him out as best they can. If they walk him, they walk him, and we saw that here in the in the ninth inning on Sunday, where Vlad took a really, really uh, took some really tough pitches and and drew a really good and important walk. I don't know that I would say they pitched around him, but. He just didn't help him out. So I like that they're willing to do things differently. Uh, I, I think sometimes, like, what would this lineup look like if John Gibbons was filling at the lineup card? Because John John Gibbons was um, uh, a savior to the uh, to the nerdy community in his willingness to hit Josh Donaldson first or second or Jose Bautista first or second, whatever it would be. Um, you you can't really go wrong. Um, but other than the fact that all first five and then six seven hitters are all right handed. I'll tell you one thing, though. There's a guy I can think of who hits left who might slot in as a very nice cleanup here. If you've got, if you went, if you went, uh, Springer, Guerrero, Pachette, mystery man number four, you're in business, if you ask me. But, uh, at least it worked. 
on Saturday. They scored a bunch of runs, and it worked on Sunday because then again you had uh, Guerrero coming up in the ninth inning with a chance to uh, to tie the game. Gets on base, chance to be the tying run. You've got another good hitter up um, in Bichette. Didn't work out, but that's why you do it. More than anything, you're giving more at bats, even a marginal amount more at bats to uh, to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. than just about anybody else. So, never a bad idea. Yeah, I'll just add that Semyon has more extra base hits than Bichette this year, but Bichette has more hits. Bichette has more hits. Yes, Bichette had that. You know, he hits. My guy hits. I want to. We'll talk about Marcus Semyon a little bit more uh, late later. Uh, I've got a couple other notes in here. Spring had a good weekend. We talked about that. Ryan Barucki. Uh, so Ryan Brocky got got. He got got by Pete Alonso twice. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have? What do you think about Ryan Barucky? I think maybe he's in line for. A, he needs to be used a little bit more strategically than he has been. Yeah, and I think also maybe there's still a grace period where he's coming back from the injury. He missed quite a bit of time, and he was pretty much just thrown. I think he had one outing where they were leading by a lot in the Texas series and he was pitching then. Um, but you know, and it's hard because the Blue Jays do play a lot of close games and they, every game they play is a big game. And so every inning is high leverage. It seems like unless they score 10 runs and even sometimes when they score 10 runs, (laughs) it feels like high leverage. Um, so I think there's probably still some time where patience is required with Baraki in terms of, you know, getting himself right, getting himself back. But I do agree with you that, they, they could use him more strategically. And I would say that, like, I was surprised. I can't remember exactly why, but I was I was thinking that, you know, Mesa's in a spot where he is the go-to lefty. The only thing I could think of is they were saving him for later because they wanted him for, you know, later in the game to face the top of the order later in the game because he has basically been their, like, second or third best reliever this year, right? I I love the Tim Mesa uh, renaissance, the Tim Mesa sans. <laughs> Do I need to go there? But here's my thing with Ryan Barucki. Sure, he needs time to get back. There's a guy named Chris that I interact with quite often on Twitter. Chris is a good card player. He's a I think he's Chris's job is playing cards. Bless him. He's been uh, on. We we've been having conversations, and he's been like Ryan Barucki is a loogie, lefty only, one guy only, lefties only, one guy, whatever you know the old loogie thing. Yeah. Ryan Barucki is vulnerable against right-handed pitching. And he was saying this last year. And I was like, you're crazy. Look at him. He throws 97. Ryan Barucki, it's great. There's no, no, nothing to worry about. Guess what? I'm 100% worried about Ryan Barucki against right-handed, pit, uh, right-handed hitting. Right-handed hitters destroy Ryan Barucki. And they have for more than just this year. And it's not his, his off-speed stuff. Pete Alonso hit his home run. Um, here on Sunday off a slider that was not in the spot that it was supposed to be. But usually it's his fastball and righties just hit it really, really hard. He tried to throw the changeup uh, a couple of times. He's only thrown, I, when I looked earlier, it was eight changeups all year. Again, then Brian Brucky hasn't pitched a ton. But that's a weapon he really, really needs if he's going to get right-handed batters out. And because of the three-batter rule, he's going to have to get right-handed batters out, which means Charlie Montoyo, in my mind, until he can throw, show that he can throw that change up effectively, until he shows that he has something to keep right-handed batters off his fastball, you have to be super careful about how you use Baraki if you're me. And whether you're up by a, up by a run or down by two, a guy like Baraki cannot face a hitter like Pete Alonso because – while it obviously worked out in you know the the worst case scenario for Blue Jays fans, 
Uh, he's just not, he doesn't have this, he doesn't have the tools. He doesn't have the, the pitches to get a guy like that out. His fastball, hard as it is, you know, you know, the Zoobs has those jokes about how he, every time you see Ryan Barucki, it's, it's a shock that he throws as hard as he does. He is, he gets hit hard by right-handed pitching and, and it's uh, a right-handed hitting, I should say. And uh, until he gets that, that change up in uh, or something, or until he could better locate that slider, you got to be really careful how and when you use him because I don't think he's a guy you can trust against a right, any right-handed batter that can hit the ball out of the ballpark. Maybe I'm overreacting, but I'm, I'm very, if you're trying to win games, you got to be real careful about how and when you use him. Yeah, totally. And also you have to be careful with his command. Sometimes that can get a little wobbly sometimes, and that can be a bit suspect. It's been better this year than it had been last year, but it's still something where that was uh, the situation today where he, he walked and then gave up the home run, right? That is the situation, and he walked Conforto, the lefty, which was yeah. which was uh, you know Buck was going on and on about how how low you know how Conforto's numbers against lefties have been not good this year. This was a good opportunity. This is like a a soft a landing as possible. You know, no, even if he gets Conforto out, he's still got uh, Alonzo waiting behind him. Again, the Mets, you know, Conforto's a good hitter. He's not going to hit the ball out of the ballpark too often. But that, that's 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 a tough spot of the in the order. That's as tough as that order gets. Um, but you saw him. Again, he walked in Fordo, and then in that at-bat against Alonzo, he tried to throw a changeup. He missed with it. But also, with Michael Conforto on first base, the catcher, Alejandro Kirk, kind of butchered the, the changeup, missed it, whiffed on it, back to the backstop, advances. So maybe that takes the, the double plays out of, the, or, out of order. So then maybe Ryan Barucki has to go for the swing and miss, as opposed to trying to coax Alonzo to roll over on something. Who knows? Alejandro Kirk, though, is back with the big league club after Danny Jansen uh, blew out a hamstring the other night in Boston. Much Again, Danny Jansen played pretty well um, since the beginning of May. Uh, mm-hmm. It's less than 100 at-bats, but his numbers are downright respectable. The season numbers are still in the toilet because he was just unplayable in April and yet was out there every day. Uh, but Kirk is back. And today, I feel like Sunday was the, was the, was the ideal, the perfect Kirk experience. Number one... <laughs> yeah. Somehow, Alejandro Kirk threw out two base runners trying mm-hmm. to steal, which is low-key shocking. He also boxed up that changeup, cost him a base. He got two hits because he's Alejandro Kirk, and my guy hits falling out of bed. Mm-hmm. And then he got picked off first base because he cannot run to second base. The, oh, man, it's just like everything bad. about and, and I'm not a pitcher should never hit, and the National League is an abomination. I'm not that. But... With Ross Stripling up, completely unfit to hit. Kirk on first base, unfit to run from first to second base. The the infield was cheating in so much. Kirk also felt like he had to get a good jump. Stripling swings through a bunt or pulls the bat back, and then they throw behind. James McCann throws behind, um, and then Kirk gets picked off with a spectacular tag. I gotta add, uh, I can't. I can't. I don't know if his name Luis uh, Girome. Uh, maybe I, I, I'm, I'm butchering this poor man's name. A great tag caught the caught the throwdown tag between the legs. Kirk out by a mile. The full Kirk experience, 100% Kirk. But uh, my guy can hit. So yeah. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, while I was kind of saying, you know, Danny Jansen's been okay. If Kirk keeps hitting like this, it's going to be his job to lose, even when Jansen's right, right? Kind of, yeah. I mean, I think. I think you're right that Jansen was playing really well. They do love him and everything that he brings to the club, uh, you know, all the intangibles and the leadership and all that thing that Shapiro and Mark, uh, Mark, uh, Ross Atkins love talking about. 
they love him behind the plate, his defense. I think that he works really well with Ryu. I'm not necessarily in the camp that, like, you know, he's the personal catcher for Ryu and, and Ryu needs to throw to him because Ryu should be able to throw it and, and pitch well. But he's he's better than when Jansen's behind the plate. I don't know if it's just a coincidence that when Jansen got hurt, Ryu didn't look like himself. And then he was better when Jansen was back. And then this last start, he had that really bad inning. Um, but anyway, I, I think that the team really likes Jansen. I, I do think that they would, you know, split time as much as they sort of have already been doing um, up to this point. Maybe Kurt gets a little more opportunity if he's hitting so well. But, you know, I'm also hearing people really skeptical that they can – run with just Kirk and McGuire back there, right? Like I'm hearing people say maybe they should trade for a catcher um, a couple <laughs> a couple days from now. And to me, that just creates, I mean, I can see the argument. Maybe you want another veteran and you don't, you, you don't just want it to be Kirk and Reese McGuire because Reese McGuire is good defensively most of the time, but obviously his hot stretch there is long gone and he's, uh, he's back to looking like Reese McGuire at the plate. And, um, I don't know how long Jansen's going to be out, but it certainly doesn't sound like he'll be back anytime soon. Like September, mid-September would probably be my guess, but I also have no information. Um, and, but, it, you know, going out and trading for a catcher, there's not very many available. I was looking today. Yan Gomes was the only name that stuck out to me. Um, and he'd, he'd be a, you know, fine backup, I suppose. But um, that just creates such a logjam in a, in a position that you already have a log jam. I don't know. I mean, the thing is like, if you're not going to run with Kirk now, then, you know, what's the point of having Kirk on your team, right? Like, uh, he, if, if he's not, if you're not trusting him to take the bulk of starts with Jansen injured right now and, and, and to lead you or not lead you, but just be a, a complimentary piece to a team that you want to see, um, make a push for the playoffs here, then like, you know, what's, what's Kirk doing around, right? Like you give him the opportunity. I would say I can get I can understand keeping Kirk away from uh, Hyunjin Ryu. So mm-hmm. while Kirk is, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't. I'm not good. Nobody's good at understanding the 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 play calling part of it. Um, you know, there are in, instances where you can point out like that's an odd play uh, pitch call, whatever. Um, I it's it's still early. Alejandro Kirk, I, I've singled out this one play where he kind of whiffed on this changeup that was thrown down and away. He he did, you know, he looked okay blocking the ball um, a lot of the time. Uh, you know, Reese McGuire is a great defensive catcher. Uh, I love his defense. I, I'm sure I've said he's, I've said the word, he's a wonderful defensive player on this show a hundred times. I can imagine that Hyunjin Ryu is not an easy catcher, an easy pitcher to catch. And there's also a part of I remember when AJ Burnett went to the went to the Yankees and he hated throwing to Jorge Posada. Jorge Posada was never a great defensive catcher. And Burnett's thing was he would he would want him to call just fastball. And then Burnett himself would make a decision. Am I gonna cut it? Am I gonna sink it? You know, what where is this where where am I gonna try to do based on what he's seeing on the mound? And Posada couldn't handle that. Posada would miss a lot of a lot of pitches, and, and just they weren't on the same page because Posada needed him to tell, needed to know what was which one was coming. Are you going to throw the cutter, or is it going to be the sinker? Is it going to be here? And maybe there's an element of that with Hyunjin Ryu, and where he and Danny Jansen can can are on the same wavelength or can kind of pick up on that. Where you know 
maybe he and Maguire aren't there yet. If you can't, for me, if you can't throw to Reese Maguire, I don't know who you can throw to because that's his whole thing. Mm-hmm. If you want to hide Kirk from 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 Ryu, I get it. If you don't think that Kirk can play every day or can catch anybody, then yeah, what is it we're doing here? You know, if you want, if if he's a DH, if you don't think that he can catch, and you just it's just time to move him to DH and and just try to get as many of those hits out of that bat until the till the bat speed goes. Okay, I get that. You know, I think that that today's game and, and these two again in in isolation, it's easy to point to them and say these are the this is the the confirmation bias. But I've we you and I talked about this before about his trade value and. I have my my reservations about the things that he is some of his shortcomings, um, and hitting isn't one of them. But there's more to the game than hitting, and he's not athletic, and he has got an uphill battle to become a you know a good enough or a, or better than better than not terrible defensive defensive player. So if you can't if you can't run him out there, um, then what are we doing? Then that's when it's like okay, let's see if somebody else can think they can t- turn him into a good catcher, or maybe the robot umps will save him because you don't need to frame or anything like that. So I'm excited to watch Alejandro Kirk play every day. I'll, I'll say that, other than when Ryu's on the mound, because um, he can, really can hit, and it's, yeah. it looks like as second nature as can be. And he 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 is a obviously there's a lot. Of, it's fun. He doesn't look like a big 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 league ball player, and he's running around over there on first base, and it's just like adorable. But uh, it's fun to watch. It's a lot more fun to watch than Maguire, who, again, even though I have said, and I will say again, he's a wonderful defensive player. My, my, my guy can't hit. So, it, it, you know, I think your, your points are strong about Danny Jansen and the, the club's love of him and, and affection for him and, and what he brings to the table. But if Kirk keeps hitting, and then by the time Jan, Jansen's back and Kirk is hitting, hitting, I think that it'll be close to a 50, maybe close to a 50 50 split down the stretch if they're trying to win ball games. And the idea of them trading for another catcher is insane to me because <laughs> trading away a catcher is kind of what we've been, we've been yeah. hinting around a little bit. That kind of brings us up to date on a, on a weekend that again, a little bit of bad luck. The Blue Jays really struggled situationally uh, this weekend, unable to kind of capitalize what was it lead off doubles. And then they, nobody kept, they couldn't come around to score. At one point, the three hmm? for three for nineteen on Sunday and with runners in scoring position. That's rough. And you know, <laughs> leadoff double, nobody come, nobody comes in. The one inning, I, I believe the first three batters reached and they they scratched across one run, and then the that rally was uh, promptly killed by mm-hmm. um, the Blue Jays outfield duo of Grichik and Guriel and friends. More spin rate coming up right after. These words from our sponsors. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? 
The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Do you think that maybe trades are more likely, less likely, short-term, long-term? I saw the Blue Jays were connected with Brad Hand and Daniel Hudson today. Uh, of the Washington Nationals, and the Nationals, of course, got swept by the Orioles. They got to move everything not not nailed down. Are those the kind of moves that the Blue Jays need to be part of, or or are there is there even more control, or even more kind of longer term thinking would be involved in any July trade acquisitions in your mind? Yeah, I mean, I've like written about this a lot, and I think that I wouldn't be entirely surprised with a number of scenarios with what the Blue Jays do, I am leaning towards against them doing anything sort of hugely impactful or major. I, I, you know, I wonder how maybe the first two games go against Boston, if that will sort of sway their decision or at all, but you're getting close to the wire where you have to kind of have made a decision of which path you're going to take at this point, because we're getting up close to the deadline. Um, so do I think it's likely they're going to trade for Joey Gallo at this point? No, like I don't think that's likely. And I don't only think so because of their situation, but also, you know, I don't know that the Rangers are necessarily going to move him or if they're going to try. I don't know. It's a, not a scenario that is quite clear yet. I, I think that the Blue Jays' one strategy could be to just sort of address some needs, get some bullpen arms, get if you can get some pitcher or starting pitchers, that would be great, although the market's not very good. But maybe you target control. Like maybe you target guys that can not only help you this year, but next year. So maybe it's not about going for rentals. Like, I mean, you just mentioned Brad Hand and, and Daniel Hudson. Those would both be rentals. On the one hand, they wouldn't be very – they wouldn't cost very much to to get. I think Brad Hand, his contract is pretty high and maybe the Nationals would throw in some money. Daniel Hudson, I think, is on a more affordable contract. It's They're both free agents at the end of the year, I believe. So, um, you know, maybe the Blue Jays go for that and it doesn't really cost them very much in terms of prospect capital. They obviously have a very deep system. Um, you know, I don't even know that it would make much of a dent in their system. Um, to trade for those guys, but then they're going to walk at the end of the year. So is it better for them to go for a guy like Richard Rodriguez from the Pirates, or is it better to go for Taylor Rogers with the Twins? They're going to cost a little bit more, but they come with control. Um, and so is, is that more the, the move, right? We already saw the Blue Jays make two moves for relievers with control in Simber and Richards. Both look like very good trades that didn't cost a lot, that looked really effective so far boy um, does trevor richards look effective that changeup is filthy filthy uh-huh. and i filthy. Look, i looked at this t- today uh he's pitched five and two-thirds for the blue jays allowed one run and 11 strikeouts i did not realize he had that many strikeouts he struck at the side uh when he pitched last uh 
Which was might have been Saturday. I, I can't remember. Well, he, pitched, he struck out two in the inning and then yeah. came back. Oh, right, 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 right. I think came back, allowed a hit, and then struck out again. Yeah, but yeah, he's. I just have not noticed him racking up the strikeouts as much as he had. Adam Simber, similarly, only allowed one run. He's not a strikeout guy, but he's been quite mm-hmm. effective, right? He's mm-hmm. getting ground balls. Mm-hmm. He's getting the double play balls. He's. They're both really good options as the first guy out in almost any situation um, in terms of using either of them, right? Like if a guy's on, maybe you go to Adam Simber. If it's a another scenario, um, you know, you go for Richard. So two really good trades. So I, I don't think the Blue Jays need a ne- necessarily another guy like that that can handle middle innings. I would say they need somebody that could maybe more confidently handle the eighth or the ninth inning. Um, those are obviously going to cost a little bit more and they're harder to come by. But I, that's why I look at a guy like um, Rogers with the twins to, to me, that's a, a really good option for the blue Jays if they can swing it because he can shut down late innings. Um, but he also has another year of control that could be a good option for them. Um, so, I mean, that's right. I still think they're going to be active I don't know that they're going to be hugely aggressive in the sense of we're going to be hearing them connected to everybody and they're going to pull off all these major moves. I don't know how likely that is just because if they're really just going for the wild card and which I still think the wild card is attainable. They're four games back. Seattle Mariners in a weird way actually did them somewhat of a favor because they took three or four against the Oakland A's. They brought themselves within one and a half games. But the Mariners are, I tweeted this a couple minutes ago before our podcast, they are defying the odds, right? They are something like 23 and 8, I think, in one-run games. Mm-hmm. They are have a minus 52 run differential, something like that. Um, they are, you know, they are somehow making it work. Um, and they they don't, they're not a they're not a strong offense. Their bullpen is a guys that are getting it done, but they're not huge name guys. I mean, they have a couple guys, but um, yeah, like the Mariners to me, they look like, look, they could go on a charmed run the rest of the year. Potentially they've done it this long. They also look like a team that could come crashing down. Right. Like, so that, and then there's the Yankees ahead of the blue Jays and the Yankees have been so weird this year. Like they look like they were going to dominate the Red Sox this weekend. And then they were throwing a no hitter through like, what was it? Eight eight innings or so or through seven and something and then mm-hmm. uh and then they ended up losing that game because the red sox came back and scored five and that to you know that probably helped the blue jays a little bit too because i think it looked better to have a split in that boston um yankees series or whatever it ended up being but um so i i think the wild card is still attainable but i just don't know that you necessarily go all in or make huge pushes um to go for the division if you don't think it's, I don't know. And, but at the same time, like I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if they do these kinds of things. I think you can make the argument. The Blue Jays are a good team. Vladdy's having an MVP like season. Their run differential is like 80 plus 86. Their, you know, win loss, expected win loss should be a lot better than it is. Like, you know, I've written about this. I could make the argument to go one way. I could make the argument to go the other way. The one thing that, you know, I wrote about this weekend and got a lot of attention on Twitter when I tweeted about it was that I don't think they should sell. That's something I don't think they should do. You made a great point about this. I don't know if you want to, like, well, let me, let me talk real quick about how you broke my heart. Um, you, you, they sorry about Joey Gallo. They should absolutely still acquire Joey Gallo. Let there be no doubt. Because Joey Gallo is not a rental. They should not, you know, the, the price for Nelson Cruz and uh, the Max Scherzer's and even Daniel Hudson's and Brad Hands, um, 
No, I am 100% out on any rental, any player who's not going to be around for 2022. Fair enough. No, thank you. Mm-hmm. Joey Gallo will be around for 2022, and he is too perfect for what the Blue Jays need. And, and we've been up, we've been through this up, up and down a hundred thousand times. Yes, he's ideal. Uh, Evan Grant of the Dallas Morning News wrote this week about how the Blue Jays have been all over the Texas system, and the, and the Rangers have been monitoring the Blue Jays system really closely. Um, which he's just writing it so that I'll retweet him, and it worked. But but. You know the Rangers are have the have the option to try to extend Joey Gallo. They also have the option to do nothing and kind of wait it out. The Rangers are on a terrible run right now. They haven't had a leads in uh, since the All Star break. I believe ninety nine consecutive innings, which is what eleven games that they've trailed. Uh, they look terrible. Joey Gallo is twenty seven. Love him. Love all the things that he brings. I, if I'm the Blue Jays and are like. Let's acquire Joey Gallo. I'm happy to let Joey Gallo go as a free agent at the end of 22, especially unless the Blue Jays, of course, win the World Series. Even if they do win the World Series with Joey Gallo hitting a 550 foot home run to win Game Seven of the World Series, I am not in love with Joey Gallo's skill set as it as it ages. And some folks talk about Chris Chris Davis, which is probably a little bit dismissive, but that much swing and miss, um, I'm a little wary of. He's obviously very athletic, good in the outfield. That does not mean that the Blue Jays should not investigate every opportunity to acquire him to make that next year's team as good as it can be to soften the blow from potentially or more like very likely losing Marcus Simeon to free agency. So you've, you've broken my heart, but all the other stuff makes a lot of sense. Just anything you can do to make the both, both this year and next year's team better. I'm almost for sure on board with. Let me just no, quickly- no Kimbrel, no Kimbrel, and you're right about the Mariners too. You've got a point to make, and I want yes. to say the Mariners are dog shit, but they, <laughs> but they have they're interesting because they do have some really good pitching in their mix in the starting rotation. And uh, what's this guy's name? Seawald, uh, who's just lights out right now and and really helping them win those close games. They're doing the things the Blue Jays aren't, and whether or not the Blue Jays have a better run differential, whether or not the Blue Jays have more talent, not debatable. Debatable though is the fact the Rangers have, or the Mariners have won fifty four or fifty five games, and the Blue Jays have won forty eight or forty nine, whatever the number, whatever the number is. And you can't take those games away from the Mariners, whether they won them by hook or by crook. They're ahead, and that's just as much reason to not think any more about Chris Bryant or Craig Kimbrell or anything like that. It's got to be a moves that can hopefully, maybe, kind of light the spark for this year's team, but also one hundred percent makes next year's team better too. Two points. And then we can circle back to the selling thing that I wrote about. Mm -hmm. Um, Two points quickly. I think that maybe my experience trying to negotiate with Jamie Newberg scared me off Gallo because he was asking for a lot. And I was like, wow, if this costs this much for Joey Gallo, I thought I was negotiating pretty well. I thought I made a really good counteroffer. He rejected it. So maybe that scared me off a little bit. If anyone doesn't know what I'm talking about, I wrote an article last week, I believe it was, uh, with with the Jamie and um, David O'Brien with the Braves. And we did a little negotiation uh, practice with Gallo and Gibson and Kennedy tried to figure out some deals between the two teams. And I, and Drew, Drew read it. I know he read it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I tried really hard to get Gallo. I didn't in the end, but the, the cost was a lot. And the other point I wanted to make just because I forgot to make this earlier. um, But about the Mariners, we talked about the Blue Jays not playing well against good teams. 
So the Blue Jays record against teams that are 500 and are, are sorry, above 500, 27 and 37. We knew the Blue Jays had a, a below um, record against good teams. The Mariners, 36 and 31 against above 500 teams. So they are doing what the Blue Jays are doing. They're winning close games. They're beating good teams that they probably shouldn't be beating all the time. Mm-hmm. And, they, <laughs> and they are defi- and they are defying the odds. So interesting two months ahead. Uh, one thing I will say, going back to the, the, your negotiation um, with Jamie <laughs> Newberg, uh, there's a list here within that within that Evan Grant piece that that again, this is just the writer. This maybe isn't necessarily reflective of reality, but he says uh, with the likes of top prospects like Austin Martin, Jordan Groshan, and Gabriel Moreno, the Blue Jays have a variety of position players to front a deal for Gallo or a potential package. For me, uh, I know Keith Law. Up, they updated his uh, his his midseason prospect list, and I believe Gabriel Moreno was number five. Um, Moreno for me is off the list, off 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 uh, untouchable, or as close as it gets. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? Just about. I'm good to go. Austin Martin. I'm good to go. I'm I I the things I've read about Austin Martin again, not a prospect evaluator, never really seen him play, scared me a little bit. So I might be more than willing to let a guy like that go in exchange for someone like Gallo if it means that that 2022 uh, team is uh, as good as it can be. The other thing, and this is this is something that maybe we can talk about another time, but mm-hmm. the problem with making a trade now or, or having us in, in this context fixated on the trade deadline and what's available right now and who's out there and who's good and who's bad, no matter what trade, whatever choice you make, even if it is Austin Martin or, or uh, Jordan Groshans, uh, headlining a potential Joey Gallo deal that would happen this week. Once you trade those guys, they're gone. Whether or not they turn out to be good or busts or whatever, that prospect capital, once you spend it, it's spent. Maybe, especially since what what we've kind of acknowledged is that these moves are 2022 moves with a cherry or with the, with the, with the appeal of being uh, able to help 2021 potentially, but the real focus is 2022. Maybe you want to wait until the winter when you don't know what else might be out there, and that uh, the uh, trade trades, I mean that this is an extreme example of like the Nolan Arenados. Somebody decides they need to cut their payroll. Somebody decides they're going to move on from a good player and a big deal. Um, and if you maybe want to help to have them kick some more of that money in, whatever it might be, if you spend that prospect capital on one of these kind of names that we've talked about, um, maybe maybe that that deal then you know kind of limits what you can do, and and especially because maybe. Maybe the Cleveland Guardians are going to be looking to move Jose Ramirez. And as much as I've talked up Joey Gallo, Jose Ramirez is better than ideal for the Toronto Blue Jays. But let's go back. So that's that's the the idea of buying. I think we kind of agree. Buying for 22 with a bonus cherry of 2021 mm-hmm. maybe is going to be the approach. Now, that doesn't mean that the Blue Jays should sell here in 2021 for a variety of reasons. Maybe there's the kind of nebulous on-field reasons you don't want to break them up you don't want to send the wrong message you know obviously the i think stoughton made this great made a great point about how much affection you could see between when the blue jay when bo bichette and teoscar hernandez and vladimir guerrero jr are like facetiming lotus Guriel jr in the middle of the all-star game um you don't want to piss them off you don't want to be like oh by the way you by the way you guys are trash we traded Simeon. we traded uh ray uh, we're going to strip it all down and you guys are here for good but everybody else is going out the door that in and of itself isn't a good message, but you made a, made two terrific points on Twitter. I'm going to let you read them so you can 
bask in your own opulence um, <laughs> as you as you describe the points that you made. I'll read the tweets out, but you no, you describe the it. points that you made. Well, yeah, I mean, well, the points that I made on Twitter and then I wrote about the next day because they got enough traction on Twitter and I was like, oh, this might be an article idea, um, <laughs> which it's a good, it's a good in, Inside ground. the artist studio here on, on <laughs> Um Yeah, so my point was essentially that, so, so, a lo- so I guess the selling model is like, well, you don't want to get nothing for um, Simeon and Ray because if they're pricing them out of uh, the Toronto's budget, then they're just going to walk. But my point is that you're not going to get nothing for them because you can get value back for them. You could give a qualifying offer to both Marcus Semien and both Robbie Ray. And if they reject it, then you will get a compensation draft pick. And so my argument was that you know, if you look at the value of the compensation draft pick, you say you got two of them because they both walked away and signed with other teams. I mean, that's not much less than what you potentially are going to get with trading two rental players at the deadline. Maybe you're getting a handful, maybe not even a handful, three, four sort of second tier picks. Honestly, like if you're if you're drafting in the second round there, wherever it would be, like in the 70 to 70, 80 range, if, that, if that's where it would be, I mean... You're looking at potentially getting those second tier prospect guys anyway. And so I think the larger point is just that the argument of like, you know, sell so you don't get nothing. So these guys guys walk. It's like, well, you're they're not going to get nothing. They have an option to get some value back for them. So that was one point that I made. And the other point was just sort of the more sort of um, uh, intangible thing that you were talking about, just how close they are to the clubhouse. But but more than that, it's just that. By happenstance or whatever it may be, the Blue Jays are coming home for the first game in nearly two years to play in front of their fans on the same day that is the trade deadline. And I just think it would be completely demoralizing for the club, uh, for the players, for the fans to welcome this new team that they haven't seen in 22 months or whatever it's been. And oh, by the way, we just traded our best starter and also we <laughs> traded our our all-star second baseman for these you know, three prospects that are now our 17th, 18th, and 19th prospects. And you might see them. They might throw out of the bullpen in 2023, by the way. like hey, I just, w- Welcome back, everyone. Joe fucking Panic is playing second base. Like, let's have well, ourselves a good time. Well, he's not because he's not on the team anymore. But Let me make my joke, goddammit. Sorry. <laughs> but... That so that's sort of the point I was making is that I don't I, I think that you can get value for them if you give them qualifying offers and maybe they would take them and you get one of them back or maybe you kind of and this is the sort of shitty thing about it but maybe you kind of suppress their value a little bit because other teams don't want to um, give up a draft pick and they're more likely to sign back with you I think that's probably more likely with Ray as as opposed to Semyon because I feel like he's more of a fit for the Blue Jays honestly moving forward than Semyon is but um. Yeah, I think that that was sort of my point in that I I also think that sort of, um, you know, more philosophically, if you want to talk about, I think the Blue Jays just ahead of this season, they signed George Springer for $150 million. That's a franchise um, record contract. The season before, they signed Hanjin Ryu for $80 million over four years. That was, at the time, the largest free agent signing for a pitcher that the the team had ever signed. Once you start doing that, you sort of – have to start the competitive window. And look, 
I, you know, you can make the argument like, well, the twins did all that. Well, the twins are an aging roster and they've massively disappointed. I don't think the Blue Jays have massively disappointed. They've had an uneven season. They have not been as good as their run differential suggests they should be, but they've certainly not massively disappointed the way that the twins have and some other teams like the Nats and all that kind of stuff. Those, those teams clearly have a path. I just don't think the Blue Jays send the right message to what they're trying to do here if all of a sudden they are four games out and they decide to sell. You know, they're not 10 mm-hmm. games out and they're no, not. No. And they're over 500. Like they're not, it's not a blow it up season. No. Um, uh, let me let me say a couple things. Okay. Thank you, number one, for sharing those points. I, uh, I'm i going to maybe quibble a bit with, this, with the first one, but the second one is rock solid. The second one is as good as it gets. Joe Panic. Uh, does not play for the Blue Jays. He plays for the Marlins, which I totally remembered and did not have to look up just now. Um, Joe, uh, Mar- Joe Panic has a 16 weighted runs created pl- plus since jo- joining the Marlins, which is uh, not what you want. I will say that trading Marcus Simeon, not that I would ever, not that it's going to happen. You were right in that it will not happen for all, for the for the reasons you've laid out. the 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 the, the, un, the intangible reasons. Are, the, are why it won't happen. But I would say that to trade Marcus Simeon would get you more than the draft pick offers you. Yeah, more, but not like astronomically more. Nelson Cruz return. Nelson Cruz, who's a designated hitter. Yes. Who's very good at being a designated hitter. Marcus Simeon is extremely good and is having another great season, which now makes two out of the last three seasons, one of which was a 60-game um, uh, abomination of, of COVID madness. He's as good a shortstop as there's been since 2019. To think that he could return more than Cruz, I don't think is unfair. Because yeah. Cruz brought back two 45 uh, future value prospects, which is... Pretty good. I mean, what's what's the value of a second round pick? You got two forty five FV guys that came back for Cruz. I think you could do better with, than that with Simeon because he's so good. He's so good that I. Somebody asked me today, what would it take to extend Simeon? So let me ask you what you think it would take to extend Simeon because you said in, in your in your point there that maybe Ray is a better match or Ray is more more likely to kind of stick around. Like, what do you think Marcus Simeon is going to be looking at come this offseason when it comes for to his free agency? Um, I put you on the spot a little bit here. I I honestly don't know. I don't really, I don't, this is not really something that I look into because I don't really like math and numbers. So I don't really <laughs> ever enough. try to guess what people are going to, like, make. I don't know. Like, what is he making this year? 18 million? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know. Like he would probably want, I I'm better at, I think he would want f- at least four years, probably five. He's, I think he's 30. Um, he's 30. I, that's correct. Yeah. So this is I his would, age 30 season. He'll be 31 yeah. by the end of the year. Yeah. So I would think he would be looking for, I mean, so George Springer got six years and he was 31 in that off season. Mm-hmm. I don't think that Marcus Semyon will necessarily get six years, but maybe that's what he will want. And then he will, have to settle for five. I, I think that he would want some security. Uh, I mean, like in terms of number value, this is where I sort of, you lose me. Like, I don't know where I would put his, you know, average annual, like, let me, let me number one, one thing I'll say is that shortstops don't often make it to free agency, not good ones, right? 
Because I started thinking, like, when was the last time a shortstop went to free agency and signed a big deal? It was Manny Machado, right? Manny Machado signed 10 years, $300 million. Manny Machado was only 26 when he, uh, you know, hitting the big leagues at 20. So that's, that's not the number. But Francisco Lindor, who was at a similar age, he signed 10 years, $340 million or whatever it is. His average annual income is, is or average annual value is like 23 million bucks. And you can make an argument. If you go back, even back to 2018, 2018 to now, Mark Simeon is a better hitter than Francisco Lindor. He's a better base runner than Francisco Lindor. He is probably not a better defensive uh, shortstop. A lot of numbers suggest that he's, in fact, much worse. He's maybe not going to play shortstop, but he's also now shown that he's more than capable and willing to play second base. Like, Mark Simeon is looking at minimum, minimum, Five years, $100 million, minimum. Josh Donaldson was, what, 34? He got four years, 96. Josh Donaldson's a really good player. Marcus Simeon, he's like been worth almost 17 wins above replacement by Fangraph since 2018. That's good. That's real good. He is going to get paid a lot and more than the Blue Jays can afford to give him, unfortunately. Okay, so, yeah, yeah. So, so my thing about Simeon is I was wanted to think a little bit about what he's worth, and and it would be great if the Blue Jays maybe wanted to be in the Marcus Simeon business, but I don't think it's in their plans, um, to your point. And maybe Robbie Ray, Robbie Ray does a thing that the Blue Jays need someone to do, which is be a starting pitcher. Marcus Simeon does not do that. So go get your money, Marcus Simeon. Um, maybe the Blue Jays entertain the idea of trading him. Maybe, maybe, but probably not. Well, the other thing is also, in my argument, you keep them both, mm-hmm. you, and you just let also let the team see what, they can do if you're trading him they're obviously they're not making the playoffs like you guarantee they're not making the playoffs mm-hmm. if they're trading so i'm just saying my argument is that if you don't trade him you're not going to get nothing you're going to get some draft picks that's not nothing you are going to underline that you believe in this team which is going to go a long way maybe for the future of Bo and vlad and whoever else in this market you also just give this team an opportunity to maybe play better in the second half and and look like they are the team that's putting up the run differential team they are i just think the all the benefits are uh, and all the yeah all the benefits are so much more than the, the sort of cost of of trading him and that that little benefit that you get of the the trades that again yeah you're right what Cruz got I think it was sort of looked at as very very good almost an overpay although you're you're when you're trading from the Rays uh pitching system they have so much that they can overpay because they just produce pitchers constantly and so yeah I think that I was gonna sort of make that argument and then I just ran out of space in my article that like yeah what sim what Cruz got is probably Simeon could get that or close to or a little bit more. I still don't think that's going to change the fortunes of the the Blue Jays um, Mm -hmm. system. Like they already have five, they have what, four guys in the top 50. Like what benefit is there to continue to collect prospects at this point? Like you've basically reached almost the pinnacle of what you're going to do with your farm system because I don't think you're going to get above the Rays. Maybe you're not going to be a better farm system than the Padres, but you're in the top five. Like Mm -hmm. this isn't, there's no, there's no World Series awarded to the, the farm system of the year, right? Like at this point, the Blue Jays just have to back off that attitude of, you know, making the prospect capital better because they've pretty much tapped out. They've, I mean, they're, it's going to get better in the terms of drafting and all that kind of stuff, but they're just, they're, they don't need to be in a phase anymore where they're moving guys to, no, to, to bolster their farm system. That's already really good. They're at the point where they got to spend that capital. 
You're exactly right. And I think about it in terms of like, uh, number one, that cost-benefit analysis is, is a good way of looking at this. Even though you've claimed to hate math, you've, you've busted that out <laughs> as perfectly it's as It's more of be. like a, a marketing thing, isn't it? Not Fair quite enough. Math. Fair yeah. enough. But the, the, the to do nothing and just sort of like ride out this season is the best way to invest in the future vibes, for lack of a better term, <laughs> without yeah. costing you anything. If somebody comes and wants to blow you away with a Marcus Simeon trade yeah. offer, whoever it is, if they're like, we need a shortstop or a middle infielder, we will do whatever you need to, okay, you listen. Or, yes. talking about prospect capital, say you want to get real freaky with it, where it's like, you are the Blue Jays, you want to acquire, say, Jose Ramirez. Mm-hmm. Another team wants to acquire Marcus Simeon. They don't want Ramirez. They need Simeon. So the Blue Jays can be, or a player like Simeon. So you'd be like, if you're the Blue Jays, you'll be like, we'll give you Simeon. You give us these pieces that we will then use to acquire a, a Jose Ramirez. You know, it hurts this year's team in terms of your second base production. Now you're maybe looking at Espinal and, and Biggio playing every day at second base or whatever it might be. You've also not put a dent in the existing prospect capital you have or put a lesser dent to acquire an ideal, like, I don't know why we don't spend more time talking about Jose Ramirez <laughs> as, a, as a potential acquisition because he is so good and does everything that he, that needs to be done by this team at that position for now uh, with the two-year, very affordable years. And the, the money, does, I don't care about the money. He's a great player and makes them better. So if that is the situation that you can find yourself in by some miracle – then yeah, you make that happen. But otherwise, kind of ride it out to your point. Don't spend it to what we've sort of agreed on. Don't spend anything. Don't blow your brains out acquiring any of these the Kimbrels and Bryants and Hudson's and Hands and whoever else. Um, that's not going to make 22, 2022 better. This might be the best way to do that. Yeah, maybe you cost yourself that much future value. Like, okay, so you say, we're going to be in this spot picking in whatever is the supplementary first round or whatever, however they do it with the, with the compensation, compensation picks. But, but those, those, that vibe increases worth it. So I think that's a good, I think that's a good way to think about it. And I think it's a good way for us to end this long, very long show. We've had a lot to talk about. We were all organized. We got lists. We got questions. We're loving it. Yeah. Caitlin, anything special coming up this week? I know there's one thing, but I know maybe you probably don't want to talk about that. So we'll wait. But anything else? Well, there's a, the trade deadline. So well, whatever yeah, happens, <laughs> whatever happens, I'll be writing about that. And, um, of course, the Blue Jays come back to Toronto, and I'll be writing about that. I think July 30th will be a real test of my um, stamina as a journalist, being able to withstand the trade deadline in the morning up to 4 p.m. and then go and watch the game and cover the game. Wow, so exciting. So, um, Are you going to be will- there? You'll be there in your seat in the, in the, in the press box? I will be there. I don't know if I'll be in my seat because they haven't given us exact rules yet on terms mm. of like um, like last year. I don't think this would be the case because there's going to be fans there. But I remember last year when the Blue Jays came back um, for the summer camp, we weren't in the press box. We were in a different spot because mm. the stadium was empty. So they put us in a different spot that was a little bit closer. But obviously that won't be the case because there will be fans there. So I expect to be in the press box. I don't know how they're going to do the seating chart. It could be different, spaced out more and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know if I'll be in my exact seat um i will let you guys know next week where i was sitting um and i'll report back but i will be there um and yeah i'm looking forward to it 
I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. I've now convinced myself that a three-way trade for Jose Ramirez is the way that this <laughs> needs to break down. This little weird brainwave of mine now, this is all the only way that I'm going to be satisfied with this, with this trade deadline. But however it happens, I'm excited to read what you have to say. Uh, her name is Caitlin McGrath. If you haven't already, subscribe to The Athletic at theathletic.com slash spin rate. Read what what uh, the prolific Caitlin McGrath will uh, will churn out on Thursday trade deadline and tear-stained uh, emotion copy after the OK Blue Jays that <laughs> rocked the nation. Her name is Caitlin. My name is Drew. We will talk to you next time. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.